Hey, everybody. We have been having such a good time in our class in, on Wednesday night. We've uh, just completed class number three, and um, I'm halfway through the notes on class number three. And uh, so we're going to complete that this week. Can somebody answer that, please? <laughs> and on that, so class five, that is gonna, that's kind of an addition. It's kind of a bonus. Someone said, it was Rob that said, hey, Pastor Allen, can we, can we take a vote on adding an extra day onto our uh, classes? And so that's what we did. So here's some of the subjects that we'll be talking about. Uh, science and Christianity. We're talking about church attendance, how every time you go to church, it's a visit to the Garden of Eden. Did you know that? I'm going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about the War of the Worlds, the Giants, the Nephilim, and the Gods. Uh, you don't maybe know about this, or maybe you've never heard of this. We're going to talk about that in the, in the last week. We're talking about evolution, uh, or creation, or both. We're talking about sexuality and gender. You'll notice that we're touching on a lot of these things in every class. We're talking about the secret code in the scriptures, and why the seven habits matter. And we're going to talk about understanding the whole biblical narrative. Some, a, lot, a lot of people don't understand this. From Genesis to Revelation, there is a narrative uh, that runs through it. And um, a lot of people just say, well, it's just a collection of ideas and books, and it doesn't really make sense. So I'm going to try to help you see it. Uh, I'm going to try to do a, a timeline. I'm going to try, because what might have to happen is that we might have to actually have a sixth class sometime in summer, but I'm going to try not. I'm going to try to get it all in there. But I'm very excited about showing this to you. And uh, really, it's, it's about how God triumphs uh, in the end. So we say hallelujah to that, right? Yeah, hallelujah. So it's very exciting, very exciting. And uh, so today we're talking about Galatians chapter 1. And here's the verse that is my text for today. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That's really, these are really critical words in the New Testament because it helps us understand what the gospel message is really all about. Hey, do you know, I went through Bible school, if you can believe this, and um, it wasn't until I, I graduated from Bible school that I actually discovered uh, that I'm supposed to be growing in grace. I didn't, didn't learn that there, but the, Peter says that very clearly. Make sure that you grow in grace uh, so we need to talk about this. We need to understand what this is all about. Uh, Paul goes on to say, Jesus gave his life for our sins. This is the, these are the opening words in this letter to the people that live in Galatia. Actually, I've been there. There's no church left, but in those days, there was a very vibrant church. It's a warning to us, isn't it? What happens when we fail to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep on serving him? So Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, it was not an accident. It, 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 you don't, there's not this picture of God in heaven saying, oh, no, now what am I going to do? <laughs> they killed the Messiah. This is all part of God's plan. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. So in our worldview class, we've been talking about how this world is at war with God and his people. And part of the world is actually in us. Paul calls it the flesh. And so we're going to talk about that more uh, this coming Wednesday, Lord willing. So this is my text for today, grace and peace. Now, I want you to focus on those words, grace and peace, as I tell you the story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, in case you don't know, was the, the one who instigated what we call the Protestant Reformation, 
The word Protestant comes from the word protest, and it's a protest against Roman Catholicism and what was happening in that year, 1517. So Martin Luther was a man with a very highly developed conscience, I guess you could say. Uh, He was very, very aware of of his sinfulness. The church helped him understand how sinful he uh, he was, and apparently that was one thing that church did well. But but he was so scared. One night as he was walking home, there was a lightning, uh, a thunder and lightning storm, and the lightning bolt just came very near him, and he knew he was almost dead. Well, he, this terrified him. He thought for sure it was because God was so angry with him. And in that moment, he made a vow that he would become an Augustine monk if God would spare his life. Well, uh, God did spare his life, but uh, not because of the vow to become a monk. So here's what, here's what happens. Um, he's got extreme guilt, extreme depression, really struggling with depression. And by the way, uh, oftentimes the depression that people experience is not just a clinical depression. It's not because of a chemical imbalance. It's just because of shame, because of guilt, because of a, an awareness of their sinfulness. Well, that was, that was definitely Martin Luther. Terrible, terrible anxiety, constant fear of dying, constant fear of going to hell. And... Uh, Even as a monk, he found salvation very, very difficult to find. In fact, he would beat himself severely with, you heard me share this on Wednesday, with with whips, with pieces of bone uh, woven into the ends of the whip so that his back would be a bloody mess. And he did this hoping that somehow, some way, he could atone for his sin. Now, some of you know exactly what that's like. Anybody who's become a Christian, you know, you, you know what happened before you came to that place of full surrender. You recognize your, your, your guilt, and you recognize the shame, and, and you felt terrible for your sinfulness. Well, that was Martin Luther, and I'm telling you, this poor guy, he was in bad shape. But he wasn't the only one who found salvation difficult. In fact, if you're a Roman Catholic, uh, and I'm not picking on Roman Catholics, I'm just telling you about a man who, who found God. Salvation was difficult for everybody. So what they de- did is they developed what was called purgatory. And the word purgatory comes from the word purge, to purge ourselves of sin. So if you were, if you were too good to go to hell, but not good enough to go to heaven, you would go then to purgatory. And so this is what happened. A lot of people felt they'd go to purgatory and by the way, the Catholic Church made a lot of money off of indulgences. We can spring you out of purgatory if you put down X number of dollars. And the more money you put down, the more people we can spring out of purgatory and send them to heaven. It, uh, it is just one more, uh, one more abuse in the church at that time. Everybody was afraid of God. Everybody was afraid of Jesus. They were they're terrified of God the judge, of Christ the judge. And so what they decided to do is they decided they would go to Mary, Jesus' mother. Because everybody knows that mothers are compassionate, right? So, uh, unfortunately, it's not in the Bible. You can't do this. 
But that's what they did anyways. And by the way, folks, this is why doctrine matters. This is why we have classes on Wednesday night to teach you the doctrines, to teach you uh, our worldview, because doctrine matters. It, it affects how we live and what we do and how we interpret Scripture. So people were praying to Mary, and they were praying to saints, you know, godly men and women who lived humble, righteous lives. They would elevate them to, to saint status. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but if you're a Christian today, the Bible declares that you are a saint. Not, it's not the church that says, oh, you know what? That Marilyn Wedlake, she was pretty amazing, so she's going to go up to saint status. And now you can pray to her. Uh, and if she, if she actually uh, performs a couple of miracles for you, well, then we're going to actually put saint in front of her name. Uh, utter nonsense. Uh, utter rubbish. Definitely not a biblical doctrine. So here's, here's Martin Luther, along with all of the monks. Um, Martin Luther, though, he, he had the most finely tuned conscience of anybody. And I'm going to tell you, he would go for confession, uh, and he would be in the confessional for up to six hours. It was so bad that the one that he was confessing to finally said, look, unless you're committing fornication or murder, I don't want to see you anymore. He was that fed up with it. But this is how heavy the weight of sin was on poor Martin Luther. He could not find relief. He could not be set free. So here's what he discovered. He discovered that salvation is by grace. And this is something that we teach. Salvation is by grace. The problem is when you start adding to the scripture. How many know it says in Revelation, if you add or take away, that there is a curse on you? So here, here's what happens. Uh, the church taught that if you don't have uh, enough grace, um, then you have to earn it. You've got to earn that grace. Uh, you need to get a certain amount of merit. So in other words, reward points. Anybody get reward points when you go shopping? Uh, everywhere you go now, Tim's, Tim Hortons, they've got reward points. And uh, if you get so many points or so many cups or whatever, you get a free cup of coffee. Well, it's kind of like that. So we're going to win. We're going to get grace from God by doing good works. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, you, would, you would go through your sacraments. The more, that you, the more that you did Eucharist, for instance, the more points that you would get, the more merit you would get. Uh, Martin Luther and his brothers in the monastery believed that if they eat the really poor, meager amounts of food, like bread and water, that, that idea, that that would give them points. Um, if you wear uncomfortable clothing, uh, you would get points with God. If you wore uncomfortable shoes or if you put little stones in your shoes and make life uncomfortable for you, the more uncomfortable it is uh, because uh, you, you, you want to just pay for your sins, the better it is. They would have sleepless vigils. They would, they would lose sleep. They'd go without sleep for hours on end. Um, it's a miracle anybody survived this, but that's what they did. They would go begging for food, even though they didn't need to beg. Why? Because it was humiliation, and humiliation was good for the soul. They would fast. They would go without food. And after, after all that, if you, didn't, if you still didn't have enough merit, well, here's what you could do. You could apply for merit. You know, like applying for a loan? Are you getting this? Hello, are you, are you there? You could, you could go to the bank 
and get married. You say, well, what bank? Well, it's, <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. It's called the treasury of merit. There's a treasury of merit. There's a treasury that you can go to to get more merit. So, and remember, the more merit you have, uh, the better chance you have of getting out of purgatory. Purgatory, And if you're really, 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 really good, then you will go right to heaven. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's what's in this. Uh, uh, here's, how you, here's how you access the treasury of merit. Some people would die uh, especially holy. Everybody would recognize them as holy. They called them saints. And uh, you could get some of their merit. So, for instance, I'm living a holy, godly life. After I die, and you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to get to heaven? Well, I know Pastor Allen was an awfully fine pastor, such a good man. I'm going to try to get some merit from him. So what you would do is you would go to my house where Gloria would have me stuffed and set in a chair in the corner. <laughs> and you would come and you would, you would kneel down and you would say, thank you, God, for Alan and Alan, please go to Jesus and please tell Jesus that I need his help and his strength. And if you did that, then you would get some of my merit. Now, I'm not kidding you. This is exactly the way it was done. And sadly, it's still done like this. Did you know that? It's still done like that. The first time I ever experienced this is when Gloria and I were in Greece. We're in Thessaloniki. Our neighbors were Greek Orthodox. And by the way, the Greek Orthodox do the same thing. They took us to a monastery where her mother was one of the women that that lives there and serves there, cooking meals, cleaning, whatever. And so they were so excited to take us into, into into the church that was at the monastery. And then they took us to the place where was the body uh, and the remains of the saint to whom this monastery was dedicated. And it was like the most creepy thing in my life. <laughs> there is that body, it's all shriveled up. And if we just go there and pray there, I could get some of that merit. Well, you begin to recognize how ridiculous this is. But listen, listen, if you don't know any better, if this is all you know, then you're going to do whatever it takes to lay hold of that grace so that you can have peace in your heart. Wow. You see this? This is an uh, actual uh, head of St. Catherine of Siena, known for her miraculous visions, her work helping the poor and the sick. 600 years later, you can visit her skull and get merit. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I look at that face, I don't think I'm going to get anything out of that but nightmares. <laughs> but if you're Roman Catholic, look, I'm not, I'm not mocking them. This is, this is very sad. They go to this skull, this, this mummified body, and somehow, someway, try to get merit from this. Very disturbing. Very disturbing indeed. But you see, if you go to visit these skulls, these bodies, if you go and visit relics, what's a relic? Well, it'd be a piece of the cross that Jesus died on. The Vatican had a problem because they started adding up all the pieces that were scattered all over Europe, and they realized they had enough pieces of the cross to make at least a dozen. (laughs) Something's not right with this picture. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they went on. In the 12th century, there was a book that came out called The Guide for Pilgrims. And in that guide, it would tell you all the places that you could go 
to see all of these relics. Because remember, every time I go to a relic and every time I pray at a relic, I'm, what am I doing? I'm getting merit. It's very important to understand this. So uh, you, may have no, you may have remembered that when Notre Dame was on fire, they, they were so excited because they were able to rescue what? Jesus' crown of thorns. Remember that? And I was so disturbed and so upset that it didn't burn. Of all the things that burnt, why couldn't it have been that? It's a relic. No proof, but they believe it was. Hey, let me just read to you some of the relics. It's going to blow your mind. So pieces of the cross, the crown of thorns. In, in, Vatican, in the Vatican, they believe they got St. Peter's bones. Um, when we were in France, uh, or in Israel, we went to a church, it was an Orthodox church, and they showed us the bodies of... The, 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 the remains, the skeletal remains of the babies that were put to death at the time that Jesus was born. Um, these are all relics, and if you go there, you can, uh, you can get merit. There's a Shroud of Turin. Uh, there's the Holy Lance that, that pierced Jesus in the side. You can, there's the Holy Sponge. These are all things, folks. You can Google any of this. Um, the Holy Grail. Um, what else we got here? We've got uh, Mary's Milk. There's the veil of Veronica. There's the holy nails that pierced Jesus' hand. And, of course, the most disturbing of, of all, the holy foreskin. Folks, it's, it's disturbing, isn't it? Very, very disturbing. Because now what you've got is you've got a focus on salvation through things, which goes completely contrary to Scripture. Martin Luther was so, so intent at being free of his sin and getting this merit. He took an 800-mile trip to Rome from Germany. Now, remember, no airplanes, no trains, no automobiles, walking, 800 miles. 800 miles there and 800 miles back. When he got there, he went to what's called the Scala Sancta, the holy stairs. Now, these stairs, they say, were brought by uh, St. Helen. St. Helen was the mother of Constantine. Uh, he, he instructed her in the 4th century to go to Israel and gather up as many relics as possible and bring them back to Rome, or bring them back to Byz the Byzantine uh, headquarters. And these are supposed to be the stairs that Jesus walked up when he was going to be judged by Pilate. Are you getting this? So here he is crawling on his hands and knees as these poor people are doing. It's, it's very sad. You can't laugh at this. It's very disturbing and very troubling. Uh, I have nothing but an outpouring of pity and sorrow for people who think that this is what they have to do to earn God's grace, to earn God's favor. Now, some of you may be from a Roman Catholic background, and you weren't really fully aware of all this. Uh, there's so much more that I could tell you. When he was there, he reports that he was disturbed beyond belief because he saw such debauchery, such evil, fornication, and not just by the average people on the streets, but even by priests. 
He went back to Wittenberg, terribly depressed, full of sorrow. And uh, he didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to do. What on earth is on Martin Luther's mind? I mean, he had the fear of God on him. So strong. He understood God's wrath. He understood judgment. He understood hell. But what is he going to do about it? And by the way, in case you think that having the fear of God in you is not a good thing, it is a good thing. It's there for a reason. God puts it there in order to teach you to run to him. Romans chapter 3 tells us the consequences of not having the fear of God in you. And by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, Satan will do everything in his power to try to mock that and to, to, uh, to mitigate it, to help you think or make you think that, oh, there's no heaven, there's no hell. Well, ridiculous. Educated people don't think this way. But folks, I'm going to tell you, there's a universal sense that we all have, and you have to explain that if you're going to dismiss heaven and hell. And that is guilt. What do we do with the guilt in our hearts? Because even if you're not a Christian, you still have guilt. In fact, you experience great depression and great anxiety from that. In fact, we're seeing uh, in, in just droves now young people committing suicide for all kinds of reasons. So what's, what are we going to do? Here's what, here's what Martin Luther said. He said, I tortured myself with praying. Did you get that? Tortured himself with praying. You never think of putting those two words together, torture and prayer. But that's what he says. I tortured myself with praying. I tortured myself with fasting, keeping vigils, staying up all night, freezing. The cold enough was, to, was enough to kill me. I inflicted such pain as I would never inflict again. It's all this self-imposed torture. All these sacraments and the pilgrimages and other deprivations gave him no rest and gave him no peace. It only increased his anxiety. It increased his fear. It increased his torment. And then one day, he read the book of Galatians and God opened his eyes. Folks, I want to share with you this, these verses one more time. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. It was further on, chapter 3 of Galatians, And Paul says, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by doing the Scala Sancta, by visiting relics, dead bodies, or trying to keep the law. You see, the problem that Martin Luther had is the same problem that the Jewish people in Galatia experienced. The Christians there who were Jewish and then became Christians they thought, no, we've got to go back to the law. Got to go back to keeping all the laws and not breaking any of them. Hey, you know, when we were in Israel, I asked our guide, 
uh, are, you a, are you an Orthodox Jew? He goes, Alan, of course I'm not. He said, I would not, be, I would not be able to do this tour with you if I was an Orthodox Jew. He said, you see those people roaming down the street with the ringlets and the black cap and the, the frills and the, all the rest of it? You see all of that? So he says, yeah, he says, these people don't work for a living. They're on social assistance from the government, every one of them. There's a whole community that don't go to work. Why? Because they can only do one thing, and that's try to keep the law and stay pure. And I saw in that moment the heavy burden of man's ways of trying to keep the law. In fact, the the apostle Paul points out over and over and over again that the law only reveals to us how very sinful we are. And Paul makes it clear, you cannot be made right with God by keeping laws or by doing anything else. And the minute that the church or any church or any organization tells you you've got to do X, Y, Z, other than put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, it's, it's wickedness. It's not the truth. So Paul says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Do you understand that today? The thing that gives us eternal life is not by your good works. Can I just remind everybody, your good works is is the evidence that you put your faith in Christ. Did you get that? Because there's some people say, well, that's not enough. Hey, it's the evidence. When you start doing good works and start living the life that pleases God, that brings glory to God, that is the evidence that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you are born again. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, folks, you are born again. And keeping the law is not the thing that's going to get you into heaven. In fact, here's what Jesus said, and it was really quite shocking. Jesus said to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, how many people have read the Sermon on the Mount? That was your homework. If you're in the class, Jesus says what? He says, your righteousness has got to exceed, be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. And every Jew understood what that means because every single Jew that, uh, every single Jew understood that a Pharisee, when it came to the law, was perfect. They, they, they performed all the laws perfectly. And Jesus says, and guess what? Your righteousness has to be better than that. So what does he mean by that? I mean, that would instantly put me into depression until you understand what Jesus is talking about. Your righteousness, folks, is your faith in Jesus Christ, your faith in God, your your faith and your belief that the way that God has provided salvation is the way that you're going to trust in. And in in our case as Christians, we believe that it's through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ makes a statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Hallelujah. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, my friends, that is grace in action. Absolutely thrilling. So no one can earn the merit or the favor of God. And I'm going to tell you, when, when, Paul's, or when Luther's eyes were open, when Paul's eyes were open, it began a revolution. A revolution that spread across the world. Uh, right now, in the world today, Christianity is the largest religion, the biggest body of, of, of faith body in the world. 
But it started a revolution through Luther because Luther immediately then said, um, I'm, I'm going to uh, take a stand. Here's where I stand. And he nailed 95 theses, T-H-E-S-I-S, on the door of the Wittenberg church. And he said, here's all the things that's wrong with the Roman Catholic faith. Now, now listen, he, he wasn't saying, I'm not being a Roman Catholic anymore. No, what he's saying is, look, remember, he's a, he's a, he's a doctor of theology. He's teaching. He's a teacher in Roman Catholic University. So he says, look at as a scholar and as someone who has come face to face with the grace of God, here's what's got to change. Well, oh, the authorities went berserk. They wanted to kill him. There's all kinds of, of threats on his life because the main thing was he was attacking this doctrine of the indulgence where you could purchase your way, you could buy an indulgence, and then you would be sprung out of purgatory. And Paul or uh, Luther saw this for the abuse that it was. And by the way, St. Peter's Basilica in, at, in Vatican City, which I have seen, uh, was built by indulgences. Is that disturbing to you? It disturbs me beyond belief. It's, it disturbs me that they want to rebuild the Notre Dame Cathedral. For they're saying it could be as much as $8 billion. Think of the numbers of people that could be, could be rescued, could, be, could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It could be delivered from poverty. Think about that, folks. We're going to spend $8 billion on a building for the honor of a God who says that he does not dwell in temples built by the hands of men. Does this make sense to you today? Do you see why it's so critical, so important, that our faith is internal and not external? Does this make sense? The only thing that's external are the good works that come from a heart that has been transformed on the inside. The thing that's going to make a difference in our culture, in our world today, the way that we're going to deal with social injustice, my friends, is by transforming the world from the inside out, not from the outside in. This is the message of God's grace. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. It's not by your good works. You'll never be good enough. You will never, ever, ever be good enough. Pastor Allen, you're hurting my self-esteem. Please, please understand something. If you are born again, there, there's, self-esteem now is not an issue because the old you is dead. You are now alive in Christ. You have a brand new nature. Christ dwells within you richly. And you have not just his grace that gives you new life, but you have his glorious peace. A peace that passes all understanding. Remember I said I've been a Christian for all these years and I still don't understand God's love. Still don't get it. I can't get my brain around how massive, how huge, how great is his love. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Romans 8. You can't get around it. It's, it's, it's so massive. This is God's grace, and it's, it's, it's a gift that belongs to everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Peace. Once you throw yourself on God's grace, I'm going to tell you, folks, that's when peace follows. You don't have peace today? Throw yourself on God's grace. Our peace always comes from relying on God's grace and not upon ourselves. This is exactly 
what Luther found. That's what Paul found. Hey, by the way, the reason why we need that peace is because of the way that we were created. Did you know that we were created for relationship with God? That's why, that's why there's that nagging, longing desire for peace. That's why it's there. You wonder where it came from. Now you know. Because you want to get back to Eden. That's where you come from. You want to get back to the heart of God. That's why you don't have peace. And so you go through life trying to fill that hole, trying to get that peace. And you think, why can't I have that peace? And I'll tell you why. Because you've got to do it God's way. And by the way, this is the question that Job asked in Job 9, verse 2. But how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? Because if I'm innocent in God's sight, then I can have peace with him. Then I can have fellowship with him. By the way, folks, Job is considered the oldest book ever written, even older than the law of Moses. How can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? Well, that's a question that every single religion tries to answer. It's a question that the Buddhists try to answer, the Hindus try to the Muslims, the Jews... Uh, Luther was trying to answer that question. Paul tried to answer that question. And finally, God shows us the answer to the question. How can I be innocent before God? By the way, in case you've got some keeners here, this is the doctrine of justification. How can I be declared just or righteous or innocent before God? And the only way, my friends, is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So when I stand before God, when God looks at me, he sees not, not the sinner. He sees a man who was saved from sin through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. Give God a hand this morning. How can, how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? I'm going to tell you, every religion in the world gives hell's answer. But the gospel gives God's answer. And this is why we proclaim the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we go back to that verse again, those verses. May the God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you what? Grace Grace and peace. If you're sitting here today lacking peace in your heart, then what you need is God's grace in your life. That's the antidote. That's the solution to your sin problems. I'm going to tell you, once you have that peace, you've got freedom from the disturbance of guilt and shame. Some of you are sitting here today feeling a tremendous guilt and shame. Well, let me just address that in a moment. This spiritual peace that comes from relying on God's grace means that you don't have any more sin-induced anxiety or fear. That's where your anxiety and fear comes from. It's from that sin that's in your heart. It means you're, you have no fear of God getting you. That's what, that's what Martin Luther was afraid of. I'm going to get struck by lightning any minute here. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And some people, this is what develops superstition in some people. They think, man, I got to throw salt over my shoulder and don't walk under a ladder and don't tempt fate and stay away from black cats because you're afraid God's going to get you. And if God doesn't get you, the devil's going to get you. What a horrible life. That's hell. That's living hell. But when you have God's grace, you have no fear of these things, hallelujah. No fear of death, no fear of the afterlife, no fear of judgment, no fear of hell, hallelujah. We've got peace in all of our relationships with God and even with one another. The evidence that you have the grace of God in your life is that you cut people grace. You cut them slack. You say, when I think of how gracious God has been to me, I'm going to be gracious to you, dear. 
You hear what I'm saying? I'm going to be gracious to you. You say, Pastor, if you knew the sin in my heart, and I want to say, well, if you knew the sin in my heart, if, and if I knew the sin in your heart. The fact is, we're the company of the redeemed. We're the company of people who have received God's grace, and he set us free in Jesus' name. That's the message of grace. We have this tremendous peace. And I'm going to tell you, I have people say to me, Pastor Allen, as soon as I get myself cleaned up, as soon as I get, if I get myself sorted out, as soon as I stop, you know, stop smoking, if I quit, I get us to quit smoking pot. I say, come to church, smoke pot outside. I don't care, but come to church and come to know the living God who can set you free. You cannot set you yourself free. You don't have that ability. You cannot set yourself free. Say it with me. I cannot set myself free. You cannot clean yourself up. Come to Jesus and receive his grace and then have the peace that will follow. Hallelujah. Folks, this is what we call gospel preaching. This is the good news. Man, and you know, the thing is, folks, we forget this. This is why I have to remind you of this. The Psalms talks about, about hell or about death and about this life, people who are living in death. It's the land of forgetfulness. I think it's so beautiful, beautifully put. The land forgetfulness. And I'm going to tell you, there's strategies that we try to use, man-made strategies to deal with our sinfulness and deal with our guilt. You know what we do? We do what Adam and Eve did. That's the, I call it the hiding strategy. Hide from God behind a tree. He'll never see you there. How dumb are you? <laughs> and, and yet we do that, don't we? As if God can't find us around a tree. Come on. Come on, people. Stop hiding from God. And how about the avoidance strategy? If I ignore it, it'll go away. And how many know that doesn't work? Oh my goodness, if you knew some of the things I have to deal with people who just avoid it and hope it'll go away. Or how about big sacrifices? If I make big sacrifices, then my sins will be atoned for. David understood that's not what God wants. Read Psalm 51. God, you don't, you don't love sacrifices. You don't, you don't want the, the, the sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs and blood. You don't want that. You don't delight in that. What you delight in, God, is obedience. And by the way, obedience is another word for faith. Hallelujah. Oh, how about, uh, how about this, this strategy? Call on Mary or a saint. Hey, I love Mary. She's my sister. Apostle John Paul, the last the Pope before Benedict, he he wanted to declare that Mary was a co-redemptrix. In other words, she was equal with Jesus in bringing redemption to this world. It does that does that not send chills down your spine of horror? In the book of Acts, it says there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. It's not the name of Mary. And no saint, by the way. If you're going to pray to a saint, pray to me. Because I could at least hear you. Utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. Let's be clear about our salvation It's through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and not of my works, not of myself. And Paul says, so that nobody will boast. You can't boast about your righteousness. Not one of us can. 
Here's another strategy. Do a pilgrimage. We did a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, but not to get merit. (laughs) So I thought it was really funny that at the end of the tour, we were all given a certificate of pilgrimage. I think Gloria just threw ours in the garbage. (laughs) I think that just happened. But uh, folks, none of this is going to help you. None of this is going to help you. If you're coming to church to win favor with God so that you can go to heaven, you wasted your time. But if you came to church today because you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to hear God's prophetic word, which I'm speaking to you now, then you've come to the right place. The thing that saves you is your faith in Jesus Christ because it is Jesus Christ who gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Someone say hallelujah. Let's stand together, shall we? Hallelujah. Father, I know today that some people here have forgotten this message. And I know that some are struggling with sin, struggling with temptation. They're living in defeat. And God, today you are telling us that we need to start growing in grace. And God, you're calling us not to run away, but to run to Jesus with our problems, with our sin, with our, our, uh, with our failings, our shortcomings. Father, we thank you today that we don't need to keep getting saved. We only need to be born again once. We don't have to do penance, hallelujah, because Jesus paid it all on the cross, hallelujah. Father, we thank you today that we can come boldly to your throne of grace because of Jesus and not because of our own merit or any merit that we may think that we got from anywhere else. God, thank God there is no treasury of merit. There's only the merit of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God, today, by your Spirit, and by your grace, we want to run to you and we want to experience your grace at work in our life. Father, we thank you today that your grace is sufficient. And we thank you today, Lord, even though we fail, we can come running to you again and again and find our sins washed away in the name of Jesus. And we thank you now. And all God's people said, Amen. Tell the person beside you, go in grace and peace. <laughs>